I want us to walk through uh, as a study the, the letters of First and Second Timothy in Scripture. So uh, if, if you're not in the habit of bringing a Bible to church, there's probably one in the pew rack in front of you. Will you grab it and will you follow along? I really want us to go through both of these books. Now, they're not long. Uh, These are among the letters of the Apostle Paul. Uh, There are a number of those in the New Testament. They start with the letters to the Corinthians and they end with the letter uh, to Philemon. Do you know why they are in the order that they're in? Like exactly why Corinthians comes first and then Philemon comes last? you know why? They're arranged in order of length. Uh, honestly, and so First and Second Timothy is toward the back of Paul's sex in the New Testament, so you know they're pretty short. So, uh, will you make this? I'm just asking you. Read these with me. Make this perhaps part of what you read in your daily devotions, and uh, let's just sort of dig into these for the next few weeks. Now, um, because the same sort of themes come up when you read First and Second Timothy in my preaching, I'm not going to just go down through verse by verse. Instead, I'm going to uh, sort of separate the messages into themes, and that way, uh, when you run across those themes in your private reading, you'll know that we've we've discussed those together. So this morning, I'm going to do three different passages, but in your own reading, you will encounter these themes as you uh, read First and Second Timothy. So start with me in the book of First Timothy, chapter one. Uh, and we're going to read the first two verses and just get started with these. First Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Okay, I just want to sort of use this verse as a jumping off place. Uh, first off, when you're reading scripture, understand that uh, in interpreting, trying to understand what it means, it's important to understand what kind of literature you're actually reading. And not all of the books in the Bible are the same. Psalms, for example, are hymns and poems written in praise and worship to the Lord. First and second Timothy are actually what? Letters. Letters. Personal letters. When Paul sat down to write what we call First Timothy, he was not thinking, I'm gonna write me a book of the Bible. You know, he, he wasn't thinking that at all. Now we know that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write. And, and what comes to us now through this letter is the word of God. But Paul wasn't self-consciously writing a book of the Bible. Paul was writing a letter to someone very dear to him, a young man named Timothy. It, it, it is a letter and letters in the Roman Empire had a certain sort of form. And all of Paul's letters follow the same form. Now when you write a letter, how do you start? Yeah, dear Willie, I would say, for our letter I'd say, dear Willie. So in other words, we would always start with, with who the letter is to, right? And then how do I finish? Yeah, love, Tim. Yeah, so we start with, with who's receiving the letter, dear so-and-so, and we end with who it's from. Okay, when you think about that, that's kind of backwards. In the ancient world, in Paul's day, you always started with who the letter is from because that's sort of vital information. I I know who I am, you know. I I know who I am. I just want to know who this letter is from. And so in the ancient world, you always started first with the sender. So Paul begins with the sender. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I'm writing to... Timothy. So it's sort of from Paul 
to Timothy, my true son in, in the faith. There are actually two letters in Scripture written from Paul to Timothy, and, and we have them here in the Bible. Um, most everything we know about Paul's life we get from the book of Acts, honestly, and from his letters. But Acts is the place where his missionary journeys are sort of lined out, and we can put a pretty good timeline together of Paul's life and ministry. The problem with the letters of Timothy, though, it's not really a problem, it's just, it's just the fact that the letters of Timothy come after everything we know in the book of Acts. And so putting a timeline with Paul and Timothy together is, is, is a little bit harder, but, but, but we can still do it. We know that Paul would have met Timothy on his first missionary journey, which is in the book of Acts. It's probably around the year 50. And Paul traveled through Lystra, which is where Timothy lived. And so we know that Paul probably met Timothy then, the first time that he visited Lystra and visited the church there. So Paul meets Timothy. Paul meets Timothy's family, and Timothy's family was comprised, from all we know, of a very, very faithful, godly grandmother and a very, very faithful, godly mother. Grandmother, a mother, and Timothy. I don't know what it is that that made Timothy stand out. I don't know what Paul saw in Timothy, but for some reason, from the very moment that he met this family and, and met young Timothy, he just sort of realized that God had his hand on this young man. So next time Paul was coming through, it sounds like Timothy joined the mission. So Timothy, young Timothy, became one of Paul's partners in ministry with the blessing of his church and the blessing of his family. Timothy began to travel with Paul. Timothy was always much, much younger. And you'll often read in the letters sort of a a reference to that. Timothy, it seems like, was a little bit on the timid side. He didn't have a lot of confidence. That may just go with being young. Paul will say things to Timothy like, listen, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Timothy was just that kind of guy. He he probably was easily intimidated by some of the older folks in the church. We know once when Timothy was running an errand for Paul and went to Corinth, the church at Corinth was horrible to young Timothy. They, They didn't listen to him. They sort of ran his pants up the flagpole and sent him off in disgrace. I mean, Timothy had some tough times in ministry, and Paul continues to write letters to encourage him. Obviously, he has a lot of confidence in young Timothy. At some point, they were on their way to Macedonia. They passed through Ephesus, and they find the church in Ephesus in a state of disaster. There are actually members of the church, leaders of the church, who don't have the gospel right. And so they're actually teaching false doctrine. And this is especially prevalent among some of the women in the church. So the women in the church are sort of on fire with false doctrine. And, and, and it's just a real crisis. So Paul decides to leave Timothy there. So Timothy stays at Ephesus, and before Paul leaves, he sort of excommunicates the two ringleaders of all the trouble, but leaves Timothy there to clean up the mess. So this is where the letters of Timothy come in. Paul has left him at Ephesus. He knows he left him in a church that's just having all kinds of trouble, all kinds of conflict. And so Paul writes these letters to give him instruction, to give him encouragement, so that Timothy is somehow able as the interim pastor to pull the church at Ephesus back together. So this is sort of where the, where the letters come from. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 with me, and let's jump into uh, part of what Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is the second letter, but this is the kind of thing that Paul says to Timothy in several places. So let's do this together. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we're together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I love this. Let's stop right here. Let's talk about what I would call the grandma effect. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Isn't that neat? Wow, Timothy, I'll never forget your faith because, you know, that faith that's in you, it was in your grandma first and your mother. I love that. Yeah, I love that. There's a, there's a word that is no longer a positive word in our culture, sometimes not even in our church. Uh, the word is indoctrination. Indoctrination. What exactly does that word mean, indoctrination? Somebody tell me. To indoctrinate. It's most often used in a negative sense in our culture. Let's be honest about that. Usually if somebody's being indoctrinated, what does that mean? Yeah, they are, they are being told what to think. They're having somebody else's opinion forced on them. And in our culture, there's nothing more offensive than somebody forcing their opinion on somebody else. So indoctrination is a bad word in our culture, but it is not a bad word in the church. You understand? The word doctrine is not a bad word. Doctrine just means what we believe as Christians, what we believe. And what we believe really, really matters. What we believe is a matter of life and death. And it really matters that we are able to talk about what we believe. So doctrine matters. Doctrine is important. To indoctrinate simply means to put the doctrine in people. And we want to put the doctrine in people. So this is a positive thing. Honestly, it's an essential thing. We are literally called to personal ministries of indoctrination. We want to help other people understand what it means to think like a Christian, to believe like a Christian, to live like a Christian. It's called doctrine. And to indoctrinate is a very, very good thing. For this simple reason, uh, faith is passed on person to person. Always. Now, in history, there are some recorded uh, times of great revival when masses of people came to know Christ sort of at the same time. But understand, that's not normal. That's not regular. That's not typically the way the Lord works. Most people who ever come to Jesus, they come to Jesus individually. They receive the faith, the doctrine, the gospel from somebody else who knew the gospel and shared it with them. Faith is passed on person to person. It's called indoctrination. But, but, but go on. Most importantly, faith is passed on parent to child. Parent to child. So, so here's the thing. In our culture, we have a lot of parents, even Christian parents, who say, I just want my child to learn how to think for herself. I want to raise a free thinker. Yeah, I get that. That's beautiful. 
That, that, that's beautiful. But, but why not just consider this? Instead of teaching her to think for herself, would you just consider teaching her to think like a Christian first? You understand? We, we want our children to think like Christians. We want to raise our children to be men and women of God who can stand on the word and, and know what they believe. Because if we don't do that, if we don't teach the children to see God before they meet the world, understand, then we're going to send them out into the world and then they'll learn to see God through the world's eyes. Because we never managed to teach them doctrine. We never managed to indoctrinate them. Indoctrination in a family is a very, very beautiful thing. It's an important thing. Now, I know that there are religious parents who are crazy, just like there are non-religious parents who are crazy. And you may have had crazy parents. But understand something, that the gospel itself is vital. And it's important to pass it on. And maybe you have to sort of take the gospel and then, you know, separate it from some of the other things that were passed on along with it. And, and, and yeah, you're a grown-up. You should do that. But at the same time, if your parents managed to pass the gospel on to you, they did the most wonderful thing in the world and they fulfilled their basic responsibility. Faith is passed on person to person, most importantly, parent to child. So Paul says, Timothy, I know your faith. Now, Paul's a pastor. Paul's a church planter, we would say to use today's language. He's a church planter. So Paul could have easily taken credit for everything with Timothy. He could have easily said, yeah, Timothy, I remember, I remember when I baptized you. You walked the aisle that night I preached in Lystra, and, and I'll never forget baptizing you. And, and I sure have invested. And Paul doesn't do that. He's the pastor, but nowhere does he say, yes, Timothy, I can see a lot of me in you. No, no. What he says is, man, Timothy, when I look at you, I see your grandmother. Your grandmother, who probably never stood in a pulpit and preached a sermon in her life, and yet the sermon she preached with her life shapes Timothy. It makes him to be the man that he is. That, that, that faith in you, I, I saw it in your mother, who may have never preached a sermon behind a pulpit in her life, but the sermon she preached to you with her life every day at home, Timothy, that's what shaped you. Now, I know not everybody in this room was, was blessed to have Christian parents. I, I was, and, and many of you were. And if you were, then understand the great blessing of that. The gospel is passed on person to person, most importantly, parent to child. I, I do want, I've always wanted to raise my son to, to just be a great thinker. I want my son to be able to read and think, think critically and think well. I've always wanted my son to be able to, to take ideas and, and, and learn logic and, and, and rational thought. I wanted him to love science and, and all of these things. But at the very same time, I've I wanted him to love Jesus. I, 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 want, I, I want my son to love Jesus. I, I think surely you're the same way. I, I mean... I'm speaking in a Christian church. I'm looking at a lot of Christian parents. I'm assuming that we're the same. But I'll be really honest with you. We're talking about adding a middle service, a 930 service. And you know, honestly, you know what our main concern is with that? That Christian families in our church will find it too easy 
for the parents to come to worship, send their kids to Sunday school, and, and then everybody goes home. And that means the kids never, never, ever learn to worship and the parents never, you know, are in discipleship and everybody just learns how to get in and out in an hour. And, and I don't like saying that to you all because it sounds, like the, it sounds like we don't trust you as parents. It sounds like we don't trust you as families. But I sometimes worry. I, I, I just worry. I know that in cafe, that's already what happens a lot. I know that a lot of our cafe parents do the very thing I'm, I'm describing. And, and, and I'm not criticizing you. I'm, I'm not trying to heap guilt. I, I just want to explain to you this, this, this critical task that you have. Some of you spend a lot of time trying to make sure that you get your children into college. But you don't think nearly enough about getting your children into heaven. And, and, and I find that troubling. I, I find that troubling. I mean, there's so many things that, that pull at a parent's uh, schedule, uh, so many things that pull at your priorities, and I understand that. I, I understand that completely. But, but let's talk about priorities. And honestly, passing the faith on to your children is your ultimate priority. It's more important than if they ever learn to pitch a baseball. It's more important than if she ever learns, you know, to, to, to be a really good cheerleader or be on the academic team. I mean, honestly, passing the faith to your children is the most important thing you can do. If you fail to do this, then what in the world could you possibly do that, that would make up for that failure? That this is priority. Now, let me say this. There are two complementary sources of spiritual legacy, family and church. Now, in Paul's letter to Timothy, you see how these things work together. Because Timothy had a tremendous legacy heritage of faith at home. And this is what Paul continues to say. This is what shaped you, Timothy. This is what I see in you, the faith of your family. Now, strangely, of all people, the one person never mentioned in all of Scripture, as many times as Paul will praise the faith of of. Timothy's family members, there's one dude that never gets mentioned. And who is that? His dad. Not one time does anybody ever say, Timothy, you know, the faith I see in you is the same faith I saw in your father. Never. As a matter of fact, there's one really strange story about how when, you know, little Timothy, who was a Jewish boy, was going uh, into Jerusalem and he'd never been circumcised, which is like, what? You know kind of a father's job. So some people say Timothy's father was dead, which I guess, I mean, we don't know. It's, whenever you're trying to make an argument from silence, you, you don't know if he's dead or not. If that dude's not dead, then the other thing we have to recognize is he is 100% spiritually absent from his life. I, I mean, if he's, if he's alive... He managed to have no spiritual influence that anybody could speak of. Now, I, I don't want to come down real hard on dads because I kind of did that last week. I had somebody tell me once, I tell you, if you go to Wyvern Baptist Church, you better be a woman. Because <laughs> the guy was saying, I, I preach too hard to men. But, but they're just, they're, there are just dads in the world, there are fathers in the world who just sort of assume that, you know, if, if the kids are going to get anything religious, they'll get that from their mother. Yeah. How many times in our church's life and history have we not seen so many moms who bring the kids to church and, and, and dad stays home? 
dad's busy, dad works hard all week, whatever, you know. Uh, somehow, one way or the other, the mother is, is the one who is responsible for that. I, I mean, men, how could you not want to be a presence? How could you not want to be an, an, an influence? So the father, spiritual father that Timothy did not have at home, he finds it at, at church, and it's, it's kind of a beautiful thing. It's the way family and church work together in, in, in Timothy's life. He has this godly mother, this godly grandmother, and then at church, Timothy meets a, a church planter, a man who just who looks at Timothy and says, I see something in you, and, and he invests in Timothy uh, over time and takes him under his arm, and, and in the most beautiful way, he, he, he raises him, he nurtures him, he indoctrinates him, he trains him, he helps him become the man of God he was meant to be. It's family and church together. It's, it, it's a wonderful partnership. At Woodburn, we talk about this in terms of the color orange. And if you listen to Nicole talk, she'll talk about orange philosophy. Orange is a secondary color. It's what you get when you combine two primary colors. The two colors are red and yellow. You can't mix red and you can't mix yellow. Those are primary colors. You have to start with those. But when you mix them, you get something else. You get orange and so our idea is in, in our children's ministry, we put two things together, family and church. Now understand, family is always more important. Dad, mom, you are the pastors in your family. I can, be, I can be a kind of pastor in your family, but you're the first pastor and you're the most important pastor. Mom, dad, you are the pastors in your family. No question. So no matter what else we do at church, we can really never, ever have the kind of influence that you will have. In other words, whatever we teach on a Wednesday night or a Sunday, if we get your children, you know, two hours in a week, we can never accomplish in two hours what you will accomplish in all of the other hours. So you will always have the first and most important influence. All the church can ever do is come alongside you. And that's what we try to do. We really concentrate on discipling parents and equipping parents because they are going to be the primary disciplers of their children at home. It's just a fact. If you live the gospel in front of your children, that's much more powerful than if I preach the gospel to them twice a week. If you get them in this room to hear me twice a week, you understand? And no matter what else we do, if we do it here at church and then they go home and you let your third grader watch Game of Thrones, you kind of just erase you know, everything else we're trying to do. Sometimes, you know, what happens at home actually contradicts, it undoes, it unwinds. The idea is that we work together, that, that the same thing being taught at home is the same thing that the kids are going to hear at church. And together, together we have this tremendous ability to disciple children. This is sort of the intention of the New Testament. This is how it works. So Paul says, I remember your genuine faith. You share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, if you listen to the prayer I prayed over Cecilia this morning, I use this very language, and I've always done that. I've, I've done that for years, not just on the Sundays when I preached this text. I laid my hands on that young woman's head 
And I asked the Holy Spirit to fan into flame the, the gifts within her. I, I'm, I'm very self-consciously reenacting this kind of moment. You understand? Now, Cecilia was baptized this morning, and on the pew there are grandparents and parents, and in this house are teachers who have shaped and discipled her. It's just sort of a wonderful, beautiful thing. All of that comes together, and then I lay my hands on her head, and we just dedicate that girl's life to God. You know, It's just such a beautiful thing, and it's the kind of thing that Paul describes here, the faith of the parents, and then what happens in, in public worship, what happens in moments when Paul himself lays his hands on. Him and, and then Timothy's given this, this, this power of love and, and self-discipline. It's just a beautiful thing when it works. Family and church, we, we do this together. We, we have to do this together. Now keep going. Turn over to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy verse 14. Chapter 3 verse 14. I love this. Again, Paul's talking to Timothy. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. When you stop and think about it, the letters to Timothy are, I guess, what you would call third, third generation, third generation kind of Christianity. If Paul, the apostle, is that first generation of those who were witnesses to the resurrection, and, and then the second generation would be Lois and Eunice and, and those, that first wave of Christians, then, then Timothy's like the, the, the grandchildren, you know, that third generation. And, and what's his responsibility? You've got to remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You know they're true because you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. That's what he says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true because you can trust those who taught you. So again, he, he's reminding Timothy, you know the truth of the gospel because you've seen it lived out. You've seen it lived out in the lives of those who taught it to, to you. Now, I would say this, and to get back to families, the life of the family and the life of faith must be experienced in one piece. Notice the way Paul talks about Scripture here in, in Timothy's life. It, it, it's, it's functional. It, it's, it's what Scripture does. But more importantly, before Timothy ever really learned Scripture, before he learned it as, as words written on a page, he learned Scripture as this marvelous way of life that was lived at home. He saw the Bible lived out in the lives of the very people who taught it to him. So long before he's memorizing Bible verses, he's watching Bible verses, walking Bible verses in his own family, his, his mother, his grandmother. This is how it's supposed to work. Now, some of you who grow up bitter because of the you know, religious indoctrination that you suffered as, as a child, wouldn't you say a lot of that comes from, from your perception of hypocrisy? The idea that people forced opinions on you, but, but, but it came from hearts that were not necessarily pure. 
People who were pushing religious ideas on you, but they were not living those same religious ideas before you? See, this is what Paul says, Timothy, you can trust this. You know this is true because you know the character and the devotion of those who who taught it to you. You can trust them. You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Who taught you? I say that it's family and church together. In my, in my life, they always ran together. Um, y'all know my parents, they love they church. And, and growing up as a kid, uh, the church was as much a home as the home was a home for, for me. It, it was always one piece. We sang songs at church. We sang the same songs at home. We read the Bible at church. We read the same Bible at home. My father is the very same man at home that you all see here at church. Don Harris, he, he can't be anything other than Don Harris. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. Amen. He's Don Harris. Um, who taught you? Who, who taught you? Um, gosh, I remember Sunday school teachers through the years that, that just would light up when I would walk in the room. Um, gosh, I remember flannel boards. I remember flannel boards, man. That was technology. It was before the iPad, y'all. It was a flannel board, you know. Uh, I just thought it was amazing. You know, like that they put David and Goliath on the board and they'd stick. Oh, you know. Back in the old days in Sunday school, like I guess the, you know, the Sunday school board would put out these big pictures with the, you remember those big pictures? That, they used to actually commission very fine painters to paint Sunday school art that we would see. And, and it was for me the high point of the lesson. You know, they'd tell the story and they'd pull out, whoa, the picture, you know, it was, it was I, I, I just loved all, all that. And, and to this day, those teachers, those deacons, those people that I knew at church, they, they raised me too. They, they taught me how to love the Lord. I, I walked the aisle and took Brother Phil's hand when I got saved. And I'll never forget that. And, and not only have you received that, your children still need that. And and do you understand that there are people like that in our church now? I mean, there are people who, who would absolutely be on your side in helping your children learn to love the Lord. The idea is to get them connected to them. And, and they'll never be connected if you don't bring your children to church, if you don't bring your children and get them involved in a small group. I mean, you really have to do this. There are generations of young people in this community whose lives have been changed for Jesus because of Marie Smalling. Y'all know Marie Smalling? I don't know how that woman is. She's probably 200. Because there are lots and lots of people who will tell stories of, of Marie Smalling at, at, at this church. I've told y'all the story before. Marie used to drive the van until, you know, we did have to move her out from behind the wheel, y'all. Marie, Marie would, would come across those railroad tracks out there. And in the back of the van, children would, would, like, would like leave the ground. I mean, she drives like, like a crazy woman. Um, one time on the van, though, one of the mean kids, and we got him from Logan County, one of the mean kids, 
one of the mean kids got the fire extinguisher and shot Marie Smalling in the back of the head while they're driving down. It was like sprayed her head with the fire extinguisher. And one of the other boys, now a man, said to me, when I saw that, I didn't know if it was in the Bible, but I was pretty sure you'd go to hell if you shot Marie Smalling in the back of the head. With... <laughs> That's not in the Bible, y'all. But, but it's just that you, incredible respect for her. You, you, you would not do anything to mistreat Marie Smalling. I mean, this church has generations of children who are more like Christ because of the way Marie Smalling's like Christ. And don't you ever spray her in the back of the head with a fire extinguisher. Jack Wright, Manisa Wright, they have been with our children on Wednesday nights for decades. My son Wade, uh, you know, Tim Robinson, like, like the world's oldest, you know, youth small group leader, how old is Tim? Um, he threatens to retire like every year, but then he just keeps coming back because he, he, loves, he loves our sons. And he is a man of God with our sons. Just teaches them how to love the Lord. And, and Tim's just this big old, you know, guy. And, uh, and, and if he says it, they're terrified to disagree with, with him. Um, Jason Phillips with my son was just, was just amazing. Uh, when the Emerald uh, Smith got married <laughs> to Zach Matson. Uh, did y'all know who her bridesmaids were? The small group girls that she has on, on Wednesday nights. Like those girls, those teenage girls were her bridesmaids. It was just awesome, you know, to, to see that. The way Emerald has invested in the lives of these young women, it's, it, it's, it's just beautiful. And, and this is what happens with the church. I mean, right now, if you have... Um, toddlers, Carol Riggenbach is teaching them the very love of Jesus by the way she loves them every single week. She's an amazing woman of God with our children. It's just beautiful. Kim and Zach Wren, uh, back in preschool, it's, it, it's just beautiful. It's, it, it, it's how it works. And that's why Paul can say, Timothy, you, you really want to continue in what these people taught you because you know them. You know them. You have seen it in their lives, these lives of integrity and love and devotion. You know you can trust what they taught you because you know you trust them. Now, he's talking about the word of God. I'm talking about the very word of God. What they taught you were the holy scriptures. You learned them from childhood. So again, before this was a Bible that, that, that was crammed down his throat, no, it was this joyful way of life that he just learned by the people around him who just loved Jesus and, and loved the word and just lived it out. So long before it felt like somebody's opinion was being forced on him, it was, it was just a way of life. So parents, it's not forcing opinion, it's just teaching your children to live like Christ. And you do that by living like Christ. And this is all that Paul says. And even when he talks about the Bible, notice it because... This verse here is often used to, to pound people into the ground. The scripture doesn't make a lot of claims about itself. And, and even here, the kinds of words that we want to use, the Bible doesn't really use. The, the word inspiration is used. All scriptures, God breathed, it's inspired. But then what follows are just real practical words. Scriptures, God breathed, it's inspired. And it's what? It's useful. It's useful. It teaches us what is true, makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
That's a whole lot of action words for a book that a lot of people say it bores them and they have trouble reading it. You know, it's, it's honestly, it's, if, if you're not trying to live it out, then I, then I would understand why you're bored. Because not anywhere in here does it say, you know, you just need to read it. No, no, you turn it loose in your life because it, it, it acts, it, it works, it, it functions. It's useful. It teaches, it, it helps you realize, it corrects you, it, it, it teaches, it, it prepares, it equips you when you want to do God's work. So, so the Bible is not something to spray paint gold and put on your coffee table at home and then you dust it like three times a year. No, it doesn't work if you don't read it. And then reading it doesn't really count for anything if you don't live it. I mean, isn't this what people have been teaching you for a long time? Uh, three things and I'll be done. Uh, Here we go. Um, First, you have a place in a long lineage of faith. You you have a place in a long lineage of faith. Just stop and acknowledge that. Um, People came before you in the faith, and and you stand on their shoulders now. Woodburn Baptist Church is 150 years old. It it did not start with us, and Lord willing, it won't end with us. We're in a long line of, of, of people in faith. Somebody passed it on to you, and your responsibility is to what? Pass it on to somebody else. You are in a long, long line of faith. Now, let me say this. If you've been blessed with godly examples to follow, parents, grandparents, church uh, examples, honor them by continuing down the path they showed you. You honor them by continuing down the path they showed you. Some of you have strayed a long way from the way you've been taught. You need to come back. You need to come back to what people taught. You need to come back to the way you were raised and come back to the word of God and the way of life that is shown for us there. You, you need to come back to that. The only way to honor those, I tell you, that Miss Marie, she, she taught me a lot, you know, said the kid I was visiting in jail. You know, well, if you really want to honor Miss Marie, why don't you live all the things that she sacrificed to teach you? You had godly parents, I tell you, my grandmother is a saint. She's in church every Sunday. I used to go to church with her. Well, why don't you honor her memory by going to church now without her? I mean, you know, what good was everything they tried to teach you if now you won't live that way, if you won't continue in the path they showed you? If you've been blessed by having good examples to follow, godly examples, then follow them. Honor them by continuing down the path they showed you. And then, boom. Somebody young in faith needs you. Well, I'm not, I'm not like all those people you named. I, I, I'm not a teacher. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that teaching skills are required. Um, when it comes to be, being a young person, I think a lot of it's just being noticed, acknowledged, um, respected, I guess, in a sense, in the body of Christ. It's part of what I love about Woodburn. I love the way our children are loved. People have you know, asked my son through the years about what it's like to be a preacher's kid. 
I don't even think he knows because Woodburn is just so good at loving all the kids. I don't think he was ever singled out. Nobody not one time said, hey, you lead the prayer. You're the preacher's kid, you know. No, church is just really, really good, I, I think, at just really loving the kids. Um, and, and your kids could be part of that if you would let the church come alongside you. But more importantly, we need more of those people I just mentioned. Um, 11 o'clock today, we got a bunch of kids going to kids camp. Uh, we had a really hard time finding a male leader to go. Why? I mean, why? Would we have a hard time? I mean, I'm looking at hundreds of men in this house today. Why exactly would we have a hard time finding, you know, a man? I'm not talking about 10 or 12. I'm talking about just a couple of guys who would go. Well, I can't really sleep on those beds at camp. Yeah. Yeah, Miss Marie got sprayed in the back of the head with a fire extinguisher. Did I tell you all that story? I mean, so, you know, it's not like people haven't made sacrifices all through the years for the sake of our kids. It's not like people weren't making sacrifices all those years when they were taking care of you. I mean, if you grew up in church, somebody was in the nursery changing your poopy diaper. I can't do diapers. Well, I wish that they'd said that when you were filling them. And this is how it works. I mean, you all. And right now, someone young in faith, they need you. They need you. I mean, more small group leaders with, with children and, and preschoolers and elementary school and, and students and college students. I mean, somebody young in faith needs you. You are in this long line of faith, remember? And the Christian faith, it's, it's passed on person to person. It's, it's like a relay race and baton has to go just, you know, hand to hand and and we have way too many people who, who somehow think they're not a part of that. This is not something nice that we could get going and make the church better. This is all that the church is. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God. And, and if we're not doing this, if we're not standing in this long line of faith, receiving what's given to us and then passing it on to those behind us, if we're not doing that, then... Let's turn off the cameras. Let's turn off the lights. Let's lock the doors. Let's go out of here and find something worth our time. Paul says, Timothy, man, you, you have sincere faith, and, and I've seen it before. Your grandmother and your mother. Now, you just need to continue in what they taught you because you know you can trust it because you know them. What I'm saying is, you, you got to be that person that one day a young person will point to and say, yeah, you know, boy, she, she was the real thing. What she taught me, she lived it. Made it come alive. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, um, Woodburn Baptist Church, so many preachers have stood um, before this congregation. I'm just one of them. The ones I knew, they loved me. They poured into me. Wallace Morris and 
Ken Cummins and Jim Gifford, Scott Kilgore. God, I don't know that I'd be here without every one of those men. Beyond that, Lord, Lord Mary Pope, who was the first woman to teach me, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, Lord, her. All the people all through, all through my life, Lord, who have just encouraged me, who have, who have made it easier, Lord, for me to believe what the Bible says because I saw it lived out in their lives, or Opal Sparks. God, I pray now that, that you would let us be that in the lives of those young in faith behind us, Lord. We've been well taught, we've been well trained, Lord, but, but we've not been necessarily faithful in what we've learned. And God, I pray that as a church, we would just have this new fire, this new desire to see to it that the faith handed down to us gets passed on now with sincerity and intentionality and love. God, throughout the sermon, I have heard the sounds of children in the house. Beautiful sound. Before they learn to lift their hands and praise you, Lord, they will kick their feet and they will babble and they will burp and poot and they will be so very difficult at times, Lord, to train. And we wonder if it's worth it, but Lord, it's beautifully worth it. Lord, may we be a church always trustworthy with the next generation, Lord, and may we teach them what's been taught us. I pray these things in the very name of Jesus. Amen.